This is Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another edition of Thought and Leaders. And as you know, I scour this wonderful, beautiful, amazing, gorgeous planet of ours to speak to leaders in their fields, whatever that field may be, people who I feel can inspire people whose stories are, are, are fascinating. And one inspirational man who is fascinating his name is Vincent Hayes. Hello, Vincent. Yes, good morning to you. My name is Vincent Hayes. I'm born in Ireland. I came to this wonderful country when I was a small child. I was educated here. I was able to uh, live here, you know, being, being housed by the council when we first came. And I've been able to uh, earn a living here. And Danny LaRue used to talk about it all the time because he came from Cork in Ireland. And he had a hugely successful career. And he used to say to me, you, you imagine what would have happened if I'd have stayed at home in Cork and put a frock on. Uh, well, actually, we're going to be speaking about Danny because I know that you and he went back some time. I was watching you on uh, UK TV. You were talking about the future of pantomimes, weren't you? Because, I mean, everyone's worried about this. We are, well, yes, yes. All, all theatres are concerned at present because of this COVID and also the, uh, the, the government's directive, which, is, uh, which changes by the day. It's very difficult to uh, be in business when you, you don't know wh when you can start up again, and it does, it does keep changing. At the moment, the government says that they'll look at it again in November. Yeah, but that's a bit late, isn't it, Vincent, November? Much too late. For, for big theatres, uh, number one shows, etc., um, they probably start planning in the spring, and they'll have only finished their pantomimes in the January, and then they, they leave it till about March, April, and then they start planning for, for the next year. Subject matter has to be chosen. Uh, the set designs, uh, the music has to be composed. It's a very big undertaking. For lots of theatres, it'll be too late. Not for me, but for most, it will be too late. Theatres will be dark at probably the prime time of the year. You are in a prime location in terms of London. In fact, your venue is really extraordinary, isn't it? Yes, it's a deconsecrated church, which was on the at-risk register when I came. I started in 92 in Brick Lane, uh, building a little music hall in what was then the old Truman Brewery, uh, part of it. And I only did it so I didn't have to keep travelling. Um, it's, it's uh, it, you know, people think, oh, being an artist and going around the world is so attractive and exciting. Well, it might be for a while, but when you're on a ship for six months, uh, it does it does become progressively duller the longer the, 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 the cruise goes on. So I decided I'd like to sleep in my own bed, and uh, how could I, you know, make a theatre myself? It was a punt. I mean, it was... Uh, Probably not the sanest thing that anyone would do, but who knows, because out of it came a huge success. And uh, I moved because uh, this building where I am now is a French architect created it in the London borough of Newham. I'm in a place, North Woolwich and Silvertown. It's a, a French artist called Toulon, built this uh, Gothic uh, cathedral. 
and uh, it fell into disrepair because uh, the Church of England gave it up in the early 70s, never had a use, it was overgrown, the, the roof was, uh, was leaking, there was very little to recommend it other than the actual architecture of it from, from the road. Mm. Stuck to our guns, and now, of course, uh, you know, six shows a week. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred people a day, and booked up till twenty twenty two. At least we were until the uh, the closure. Yeah. So, what kind of shows have you been putting on there? Um, music hall to a lot of people might sound old fashioned, but the the opposite is true. Uh, music hall variety in the early days was a, a bespoke art form. And people like George Bernard Shaw would write sketches for the music halls. Purpose of music hall is community theatre, so that the audience and the artist become as, as close as possible. They become one. So without audience participation, you don't have music hall. People like the familiar, they like the lyrics of songs that, that, that they know. And, of course, in the early days of Music Hall, it was very risque. All these songs you hear being sung today, like My Old Man Said Follow the Van, and that's a, a song that was written about homelessness when they had to get out because they couldn't pay the rent. They had a relevance when they were written. They're not just, you know, musical ditties. They're stories. So I've stayed faithful to that so that everything that we do here reflects society today. Mm. It's tongue-in-cheek. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily PC. It's innocent. There's no bad language. People find it funny, and I believe that they do. When you say the word musical, I think what goes through my head, a man, and that man is Leonard Sachs. Stimulant celeritousness, <laughs> speed of the horseless carriage, we give you the omni participant, unparalleled, Layers Theatre! Yeah, absolutely, the good old days. Leonard Sachs uh, created a musical, it's called The Late Joys, it was in Covent Garden. When you're an actor, you're in a play, you do the play for the, whatever the length of the run is, and then when it, when it stops, you're out of work. Now, the thing about being an actor is that you need to be cast in a new play and start rehearsal, so there was quite a lot of downtime. So what they did, when they started creating prestige performances as musical artists, as actors... And they create a whole persona around that character that they'd found. They'd be known for doing a particular number. And that would form the basis of Music Hall with a chairman that would introduce them. The chairman that the BBC went to see was an actor called Maurice Browning. 
But unfortunately for him, on the night that the BBC went, Maurice Browning was off. Max was on in his place. So they only saw Leonard and they wanted to kind of build up the part of the chairman. So that's where all these verbose introductions came from. Oh, really? Not true to music, Paul, but it made it more interesting for the television. The, the good old days, it gave greater credence to names like Alpha Askey, good old Danny, Ken Dodd, uh, Roy Carter. It just goes on and on and on. Talk about Ken Dodd. Did you, did you get to meet Ken? At the very end of his career, he became a member of the Grand Order of Water Rats, which I'm also a member of, which is the show business fraternity. They wanted to induct him into the uh, into the lodge years and years before. Really? But, you know, he worked into his 90s. And, I mean, he didn't stop. He'd do two shows a night, 6.30 and, and 8.30. And at 6.30, when the show was still going in past 8.30, he used to say, now, look, he used to say, the next audience coming in, are an audience of traffic wardens. Do you think we should stop this show now to let them in? <laughs> we are the diddy men, doggy, doggy, diddy men. We are the diddy men, so let the symbols play. We're the diddy men from Mountie Talk about Pantos and, and Ken Dodd. When I was about seven or six or something like that, my mum took me to a panto uh, in uh, in the Palladium, and Ken Dodd was there with the Diddy Men, and I don't know why he chose me. I was just some guy, some kid in the audience. I, I was chosen uh, randomly, and I went on stage with Ken Dodd and the Diddy Men, and that's like one of the fondest memories I've ever had. And that's why pantomime is so important, because often it's the first introduction to theatre that a child has. And that's why the standard of pantomime needs to be kept so high because you're introducing an art form to a child that if it's a pleasant and positive one, please, God, they come to the theatre for the rest of their lives. Now, you, you mentioned Danny. So what is it with, with Danny LaRue? He would fill a theatre on his name alone. And what's so unusual about that is that it wasn't on any television credit that he did it. It was on the atmosphere that he generated by stepping onto the stage. It was the fact that he made uh, female impersonating an acceptable art form. Prior to him, it was all in pubs, drag artists, and it was it was thought to be um, probably a little unseemly in many in many people's eyes. But he he brought it into the mainstream. And he was very clever because he was a comedian in a frock. He never set out to be a female impersonator. So once he'd arrived on the stage, he used to say in this wonderful uh, uh, bass voice, watch your mates. Here was a man in a frock looking stunning. The creations that he had, the, 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 the dresses that he had, he looked a million dollars a singer, a comedian, and he made an evening that created magic. Yes, we'll walk up the avenue. Yes, we'll walk up the avenue. Still we're there. With today, with television, you know, they nearly follow you into the loo and everybody wants to know everything about everybody and it's just being nosy. Mm. I've got no interest in people wanting to get off with one another. I mean, I'm only interested in who I get off with. 
<laughs> the, the thing about television is you've got to run out of quality. You, there's only so much talent in the world, but not that many people have got the talent, the courage to, to, to rise above the, uh, the parapet and, and to take a chance. You know, that the phrase is, if you don't go out on a limb, you, you won't get any fruit. Well, you know, a lot of people like to stay in their comfort zone. Equally, there are people that are talented in a different direction. Mine was always laughter. I mean, you know, I didn't, I can't take credit for it. It was just the way I looked at the world. Now, they do schools for comedy. Go and learn to be a comic. Well, you know, can you learn to be a comic? No, of course you can't. That's like you can do a, a three-week course on brain surgery. I mean, it's not possible. <laughs> but that, that's not to say that, you know, you can't go and, you know, have a bit of fun doing it and maybe it'll enhance a skill in a different direction. Maybe it'll give you, you know, confidence to, to go to a job interview and you'll be more successful than you would have been otherwise without doing the course. So all this about, you know, personal advancement, I'm all for it, but we're all talented in different ways. Yeah. The problem with reality shows and the like is that they take ordinary people without talent, usually based on looks. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's coming going to come as a surprise, but all members of the female race, once they reach a certain age, you know what I'm going to say? They have a bosom, <laughs> you know, and they they push them and pull them and do this and that to make them attractive, and they they think that that makes them a star. <laughs> I've had people ring me up who've been in these um, uh, reality shows, and one, you know, let me out of the jungle or let me in or keep me in is what they should be doing, and they want thousands upon thousands of pounds a week. Did you hear, Vincent, that on Strictly, allegedly, they're saying that they're offering them this year because of COVID, 60,000. They're saying, you must be joking. I'm not going to do it for 60,000. It's not enough. It's like these, you know, Premier League football players. Some of them are on £300,000 a week. Wow. Right. I wonder how they're going to get that now with social distancing. I mean, what will they be paid in the future? Because there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Oh, come on, Vincent. You and I, you and you and I are old enough to know that everything has an end in sight. You know, it, it, you know, it's not the it's not uh, the fat lady hasn't sung yet. No, but well, but yeah, but I've always had my feet on the ground. I mean, you you can come here and have a, a three course meal made on premises by the chefs with different choices for main course you get a starter main course dessert and then full two-hour show for 49 pounds 50 lovely you are a hero in terms of uh newham aren't you you've helped put the place on the map we're not going to talk about those bridges with boris because i know that you've got a bit of a gripe about that haven't you well, I don't think Boris is a leader, but that's not me being political. It's just that if I'm going to follow somebody and what it is that they tell me to do, I want to be confident. I mean, if I was in the trenches and he was the pl platoon commander and he said, right, lads, out of the trench, let's charge, I would be hiding in the trench. I wouldn't get out. That's, that's, that's a traitor. You're a traitor. No, worse. That's all right. That's all right. 
that's all right. I'll get out in my own time and I'll charge when I feel it's safe, when I've got a chance of achieving success, not sacrificing my life for nothing. I wouldn't want to do this. I'd want my life to count for something. But Vincent, what about what do you think about all this thing about these millennials who they say are not taking, haven't been taking coronavirus seriously enough? Well, the problem, the problem is that, that, you know, I don't have any political affiliation. The reason for that is that to me, I just see an audience. If I stand on a stage and I'm, you know, su- suggesting by what I'm saying that I'm leaning towards what was uh, Corbyn or Starmer, then I'm going to alienate some of the audience who w- would be leaning the other way. It's not my job to, 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 to comment politically about anybody, about anybody, whatever, whatever the politics is. My job is to create laughter create fun, and for people to be able to step out of their everyday lives into something that's a sacred space. Theatre is one of the last spaces where you can not know people when you arrive, sit next to them and make friends because you're all enjoying the same experience. And it doesn't matter whether a production or a play is good or bad. It's life-changing. You're never the same coming out as you were coming in. Mm. True. I had some friends who who own theatres. There's a really nice guy who owns a theatre uh, up in the West End. The landlords, you know, the council, all that stuff with the, with the cost to run these places, and they're empty and there's nothing that, that that poor man can do because of the seating issue and all the rest of it. If you don't have people able to sit together as a com- common experience, then it's not a show, it's an audition. Yeah. There is no point. And here in Newham... You know, I'm 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 lucky because you know Newham gave me this beautiful building. I admit they didn't have any use for it, but nevertheless, it's a landmark building here in a very very quiet quiet space in Newham. I mean, you know, we've got Stratford. I mean, there's so much buzz around this borough. It's the best borough in London. It's so diverse. It's got you know, it's got humour. It's got laughter. And here I am, uh, a bit off the beaten track, but it's helped to put Newham on the map because this theatre is one of the only ones in the country that's not funded. We've never had public money, never had grants. We've done it all ourselves through our hard work and endeavour. And even the restoration of the building was a a private endeavour. And uh, Newham are thrilled because every theatre in every borough costs the council, the arts council, the lottery, costs them money just for it to be there, even if it's closed. Now, there's a lot of people who go on the on the box who are famous names or people who own, you know, several theatres in the West End and other places. They can't open. So we'll be one of the one of the the, the first to reopen as soon as we're able. I worry more about the people backstage. Yes. You know, the lighting person, the PR person, you know, all these, the dressers and all the rest of it. They're the ones who are really affected because the, the business of show, it's very much a gig economy, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've tried to keep all my staff on. There's 50 people here when we're open. We don't have any income at all. So we're in a very difficult uh, position. You spoke earlier, Jonathan, about uh, Strictly Come Dancing. That is not banded in with reality shows, that normally the people that go on there have to learn a discipline, apply a talent, 
And for the dancers themselves, the, the professionals, they've studied that since they were children. Artists that I've worked with, including Debbie McGee, who went on it and made such a huge success, it's been thrilling for me to be able to, to watch somebody like her, you know, apply her talent in, in such a visual and appealing way makes a mockery of all these other uh, reality shows and what they're going to test people for their, you know, will they put their head in a bucket full of uh, crabs? <laughs> I wouldn't have them on my stage. Why? Because, you know, on my stage, you've got to do 15 minutes. We can't keep saying cut. Mm -hmm. Dan Mendes was interviewed the other day, as you know, is hugely successful. And he said if he was young now coming into the theatre, he wouldn't bother. Yeah. No, and my daughter's just finished uh, a director's course at the Bristol Old Vic. I mean, she's been in full-time education since she was seven. She's been, always been academically inclined. She's always been in the theatre. I mean, she was here as a toddler running around playing hide-and-seek on stage, and so she's grown up in it. Very rare today, I would think, that a child can smell the grease paint from the moment they're born, but she has been able to. And much against my advice, she uh, had a love of theatre, so she went to Oxford for, to read English and then was one of the youngest uh, students ever at the Bristol Old Vic because they like them to be into their 30s before they do the directing course because often, you know, people come here for an interview for a job and within seconds, if it's a technical job, we're lighting, sound, backstage, props, artist. The minute they say to me that they play the guitar, I know their heart's not in their application because in theatre, you always have to be clear which side of the footlights you want to be. But she was always clear. She went clearly uh, to the to the to the interviews, very clear about what. She, and they took her on as a director. She's just finished uh, this month. And what is there for her? Poor girl. Well, don't worry. It's going to be okay. I know these things. Don't ask me how, but I just know these things. Now, you're talking about grease paint of people who are you know they're not people born with the grease paint anymore. Now, you you have met legendary people who were born with the grease paint. Yeah. Is it true? that you actually met the late Sir Noel Coward. Is that true? Who told you that? Ah, I've got my spies all over the place. Is it true? You must work for Mossad. <laughs> I can't talk about that. <laughs> like to add that there isn't one of it that I would be proud and honoured to serve with again. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart. So I went to uh, the first night of a play at the Queen's Theatre, Shaftesbury Avenue, and it was uh, the late Robert Morley, and the play was called Halfway Up a Tree. And it it was uh, Binky Beaumont was the theatre manager and um, I had a friend who invited me and um, it was a, a you know very middle class farce that was uh, funny in places and afterwards there was a party to celebrate the first night and it was in Lord North Street in Westminster and I had to drop somebody home and because there's no mobile phones, one thing and another, they wanted to go home. But I was asked, would I go back to the party? So I said, yes, I will. But I didn't I didn't arrive with everybody else. I was a bit later and I knocked on the door and the late Gladys Cooper came to the door, who was Robert Morley's mother. Oh, yeah. And that was the start of it. Everybody that was in there was a star. And uh, the drawing room was on the first floor. 
So uh, they said to me, please, please go upstairs, drinks up there. So I went up, and as I was going up the stairs, I could hear this voice. Oh, yeah. And um, I hadn't seen Arsenal at all. I didn't know he was there. I hadn't seen him in the theatre. But as I was going up the stairs, I thought, oh, I recognise that voice. Right. And as I walked into the drawing room, he was sat in a gilded uh, chair, an armchair with uh, wings on it. Right. And sat at his feet was the late Sheridan Morley, who uh, he researched in a book which was called A Talent to Amuse. So Noel was talking about a fly past. It had been his birthday and uh, he was on a yacht. Right. And the uh, Royal Air Force uh, had uh, performed a fly past because he'd had, had the success of that film, in which we served, that wartime film. He was so gracious. He chatted to everybody. As he left, he came round the room and he shook hands with everybody, including me. Mm. Did I know that he would be regarded as, you know, being legendary? I mean, he was uh, famous at that time, but obviously, you know, the thing is, in society, once somebody's gone, they reach a status. That's right, yeah. That they can never reach when they're alive. Yeah, that always happens. It happened with uh, Clark Gable. It happened with Elvis. It, it just happens time and time again. Who do you think are, are greats nowadays? Joe Longthorne was here. At Newham, you mean? Wow. Yeah, in my theatre. Yeah, he was here, did, did some concerts with me, and he and Jamie were my friends. Right. Were you mainly on the boards? Did you do... I grew up, you know, as a turn. I put an act together. I was an actor for a while, you know. I did uh, rep. Oh, yeah. I did TV a bit, but I hadn't got an interest in it because I found it boring. Ah. The thing about live performance, which is so different, yeah. it's got to be done 100%. There's no opportunity, if you make a mistake, to say cut and keep going back, or the camera wasn't right, we need to do that again, we need to do that again. And obviously they're working towards perfection. But for an artist like me, it becomes dull. And I used to think, oh, my feet are aching. <laughs> if I want, you know, big laughs every day. And I used to think, I'm just not enjoying this. I don't think I'm cut out for it. So I decided to leave, and I came back to London, and I was in Paddington and I saw a big billboard and it said, if you're 21 and over and can drive a car, you could be a London bus driver. So I thought, oh, wouldn't that be exciting? You know, double-decker bus. I can see myself doing that. So that's what I did. Mm. And then somebody rang me and said, um, have you ever thought of doing variety work? He said, there's, there's quite a bit of work in clubs. Oh, right. So I put an act together. I mean, don't ask me how, but I did. And I went out as the fun, the unfunniest uh, stand-up on two legs. And obviously I got paid off and people said, you're rubbish, and I, I had to agree with them. But, <laughs> you know, you stick at it. And um, it was like the late Bernie Winters was being, in, uh, was being interviewed. The interviewer, which I think was Michael Parkinson, said to him, well, didn't you think of doing something different then if it was, you were such a failure? And he said, oh, no. I was in show business. Well, yes, yes. And that's how I felt about it. No, this is my job. I've got to learn. So I just stuck at it. And, you know, I did all the things that people did. You know, I became a principal comic, went into musicals, toured, toured the country, went on cruise liners. But as I said at the beginning of this uh, interview, uh, after a while, travelling is not so exciting. You know, I was with the late Adelaide Hall and we were in Oxford mm. and we came out of the pack theatre 
was freezing. I mean, it was absolutely freezing. And we didn't know where the digs were. Right. So there we are. I'm walking along with a singing legend. Right. And we're both lost. I mean, anyway, we found this place and uh, she had one room and I had the other. And I remember I went into it. The bedroom was lino on the floor, freezing cold. And there was a one bar electric fire on the wall. Mm. So it was freezing. So I went up to the electric fire, switched it on. It was one bar. And I thought, oh, it lit up, and I was standing, got my hands up against it, and then it went off. I mean, it went off while I sat there, and of course, it, it went off at eleven o'clock at night. That was it. Oh, I see. Got into bed. There was a spring poking up in the mattress, damp. Yeah. And I thought, you know, this is show business. So that's why when I got an opportunity or took a chance to build my own theatre, you know, there was no there was no holding me back because at least I could sleep in my own bed. And what a difference that makes. What a wonderful way, Vincent, to look at life. You, you've been there with that bed, with the spring coiling out and the heat going off, but yet you keep on going because that's what show business is, isn't it? You, you just keep on going. It's another opening of another night. It's, it's always going forwards. You know, if, if anybody ever realised the power of a negative thought, they'd never have one. Absolutely, absolutely. I always knew my future rested with me. As long as I didn't hurt anybody, as long as I was willing to learn. I mean, I worked with some great stars, and they nearly all were unanimous. They used to say to me, you're rubbish, but you're good rubbish. <laughs> now, that's an accolade. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's good. not to be thought of as being at the bottom of the pile by a big star. If you want to get yeah. on, listen, like I did, to the pros. This great comic said to me, watch my feet. Right. He said, he said watch my feet. And I thought, what does he mean, watch his feet? Right. So I'm in the wings and I'm watching his feet. Right. So he said, what did you notice? I said, oh, well, not a lot. He said, well, do it, watch it again tomorrow night. By the end of the week, his feet told me more about his performance than, than he did. It's like a prize fighter. When you watch their feet, you can watch their timing. You can see in their feet when they're coming to the tag. Yeah. Uh... Because the whole thing is so finely tuned. It's not what they say. It's the way in which they say it. And they're building with the audience the whole time. And like a prize fighter, when they're going to throw that final knockout punch, they have their feet in the right position. So I don't understand. Now, I bet not one of these alternative comedians that now occupy prime slots on television have ever been told that. Wow. 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 Every successful person I've ever met has never hesitated to help me when I've asked them a question. I say to them, um, why do you do that? They'll tell you. And you learn. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's the important, if you like, of the history of our business. It didn't start when alternative comedy suddenly, uh, you know, decided to turn a blind eye to all that had gone before. Yeah. You know, or everything everything overnight became sexist, racist, homophobic. Well, no doubt there were extremes. There always are. And in many cases, the extreme of the pendulum swinging the other way introduced bad language into places where it wasn't warranted. 
I want people to get back in there to the Brick Lane Music Hall when it opens, please, God. It should be 2021, shouldn't it? It should be 2020. I told you the power of a, a negative thought. No, no, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to take it. I'm rewinding myself. There, I'm rewinding myself. Um, it's, going to, <laughs> it's, going to be, it's going to be 2020, isn't it? Yes. November. November. Right. Oh. <laughs> so people can get you through the Brick Lane Music Hall. Is that right? Yes. We have a website. I mean, we have embraced the uh, 21st century Brick Lane Music Hall. You've only got to type that in. But if you put my name in, Vincent Hayes, somehow I've ended up at the top of Google. Well, you should be not just at the top of Google. I mean, I mean, people have got to realize. I mean, you've been awarded. What, what, what have you got? The MBE? Oh, yes. Wow. What an honor. Well, it is. For an Irishman, I tell you, it's really something. I feel very cherished uh, to be in this country. Uh, You know, if we'd have had, uh, you know, steel borders, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't have got in, but I did. I've had a, you know, hugely enjoyable life here, and I'm so grateful. I think Her Majesty the Queen is almost a saint. Right. uh, Prince Charles, he he was the one who presented me. Yeah, I know. uh, the MBE, and he said to me about because I got it for my services to theatre musical, and he said, um, "I he said I wouldn't have thought that uh, musical was that that popular at the moment." And I said, "Oh, please do hurry up! I've got a matinee at two o'clock." <laughs> very, very good. Well, look, listen, Vincent. I am. I feel cherished to have been able to have a bit of a chin wag with you. I'm urging everyone to check out the Brick Lane Music Hall because it will be November because Vincent says so. Oh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to be there on opening night. You'll be more than welcome. I look forward to it. All right. Well, look, thank you, Vincent. God bless. And uh, to everyone, uh, God bless. And remember what Vincent said, keep positive, keep positive and watch those feet of yours. Remember, if you get it right, then you are going to be able to walk in the right direction towards a greater, better future for us all. Till next time, speak to you soon. It's so important to make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Make just one heart-to-heart you. You sing to one smile that cheers you. One face that lights when it nears you. One girl, you're, you're everything to fame. If you win it, comes and goes in a minute. If you have an outstanding story to tell the world, you could be considered for one of Jonathan's podcasts. Contact us today for world-class brand creative content as well as personal development strategy that builds your brand. Get in touch with Jonathan by emailing reinventatme.com. That's reinventatme.com. Make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. And you will be happy too.